Hey all, welcome back to the new episode of the Boring Launch Podcast, where we get to talk about the stories behind launches. In this week's episode, I get to chat with my friend BJ Malikote, a good friend of mine from Xbox who went indie. I'm your host, Raymond Arpianto. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Boring Launch Podcast. With me, I have my friend BJ Malikote. Hey BJ. Hey, how's it going, Ray? I'm excited to have you uh, coming to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a while since I've seen you, so it's great to catch up. It has been a while. So last time we worked with each other was in Xbox, and it seems like you've gone through several changes in your career. <laughs> Sounds interesting. What did you tell us about the things you've been doing in the games industry? Yeah, totally. So we probably met in 2010, I'm guessing, back on 360. I think yeah. it was on the eve of Kinect's launch, uh, the first Kinect. I know you were doing some stuff on family and sort of the shell and I was doing friend stuff and yeah. So we met back then and I stuck around in Xbox for a while. It's kind of my dream to work on Xbox. I think it, as a young person, it's, it's cool to be a game developer. It's cool to work on a platform. And certainly Xbox 360 at the time was like the peak, I think. And I always dreamed of having a dev kit on my desk. And so once I achieved that, I think I probably had three or four at one point. And so that was pretty yeah. fun. But then, you know, you start to hate the dev kit because you have to do all the hard debugging with it and everything. But anyway, <laughs> all that aside, yeah, so on 360 for a while. And then forget when it started, probably like 2011, end of 2011 or something like that. We started doing Xbox One stuff. And so I was really early on that. And so it was a really fun lesson in like prototyping and trying to figure out like, okay, what is this new thing? And, you know, you were there too, but we were doing all these discussions about like, what do we want? What do we like about 360? What what can the future hold? And mm -hmm. I think as a platform holder, it's really fun to try to think about how people are going to play games on your platform because ultimately they're there to play the games. And so like, you kind of don't want the shell and the other home experiences to get in the way, but you also want to push the state of the art. Like, you know, achievements were a big deal when those came out and, you know, the party system that I know you worked on and I worked on and those things are really cool, but you kind of don't want to get in the way. So that was a fun sort of lesson of like, okay, how far do you push your opinions when people are here actually just to play the games? So anyways, stuck around the Xbox One for a while. Launch was pretty fun, although there were some hiccups there, if anyone remembers the always on, always connected stuff. And then kind of stuck for probably a year after, so did a bunch of releases. We switched in a big way from doing like, you know, on 360, we would do, I think, usually two big updates a year. I remember the, the November update was the, the huge one usually. Xbox One, we switched to monthly. So it was kind of like getting a lot of releases under our belt really quickly. And then after that, I kind of switched to something totally different. And I went to HoloLens. So super, super cool technology. Um, got to work with a lot of cool companies. Worked with um, external companies, kind of developing what they wanted to do, what they could imagine with HoloLens. So did that for a few years. And then I was telling you a little bit before, but a bunch of people went to Hulu. So I found myself over there for a little while too. I realized I kind of missed games and game-like things. So I ended up going back to Microsoft, second tour of duty, and did um, mm -hmm. sort of some Xbox prototyping. So back in Xbox, kind of with some HoloLens people, doing some prototyping there. And that was super fun for a number of years. And then uh, I went to an indie studio, very, very spaceship for three years and kind of just parted ways with them recently. Um, that was a really fun ride. We grew from five, six people up to 30, 35 people. Um, worked on a game with Niantic for those three years from pitching to prototyping to pre-production to production. So sort of the whole thing. And then decided I did my journey on it 
and kind of wanted to do something new. So now I'm doing a, a endeavor with a buddy of mine. And so just the two of us making software and trying to just make enough money to live and have fun and kind of do it our own way. So that's the Cliff Notes version of the last, I don't know, decade, I guess. Wow. That's very different experiences from, from one yeah. to another. I, I kind of want to dig in more, obviously. But one of the things you mentioned, like when you were doing the HoloLens, I remembered in E3 2015, mm -hmm. I think, when when we both were there, you know, representing different things, right? Like I was I was working in Lionhead at the time and like we were showing the Fable Legends mm -hmm. in the show floor. And you were working on something really big in the E3 presence. Like, oh, do you yeah. remember that? It's like, what? what that were you was doing unforgettable. There? Yeah. So we had Hololens at the time wasn't out, and Halo. I guess Halo Five Guardians was the one that they were promoting. Mm -hmm. um, and so we mm -hmm. kind of, I guess, hitched our wagon to the Halo horse and got a bunch of money and got a bunch of people and talent, and we made a huge booth. And our goal was to kind of, um, you know, E3 is like super hectic and super chaotic, especially as more and more people were going. And our goal was to kind of like whisk you away off this like super chaotic, super noisy, bright light show floor and take you onto this UNSC Infinity. It was the name of the spaceship. And mm -hmm. so we were basically just building a Disney ride in the show floor. I forget the exact square footage we had, but like I was joking because I was in a control center between the walls of this thing. And people would have paid good money right. for my booth. Like I had enough square footage in my like area <laughs> where I was controlling stuff. And so I could have had my own display or whatever. But yeah, we had a massive booth and it ended up being, we had two sides, a red and a blue side. And we would take 12 people per side through. So 24 people at a time. There was four tables that had six people around it. They would put on a, a HoloLens and they would see this briefing and they would meet this commander and she would give a briefing about what you're going to see. And so you're looking at this table and the table's a physical real table and then it's marked up or augmented with all this digital stuff you're seeing just through HoloLens. And it was really cool because one of my favorite beats of it was as you're getting fitted, um, we have a calibration station, which is just like mm -hmm. a wall with some graphics on it, some decals. But then the first decal you see that's digital is the like Halo UNSC logo. And it matches up like perfectly right. with the real world. And that's how we know you've got everything's good and everything's tracking and registered properly. So it's kind of a fun moment. And then the first thing you see after that is a Halo style waypoint that we're all super used to in the game where it's like, you know, you're 20 meters from your destination or whatever. But it was a real live one that was, mm -hmm. you know, world locked and you'd walk towards it and it'd be like, 1918. So it's really cool, you know, take some of those game tropes and put them in this experience so people felt familiar and comfortable. And then after that whole briefing, they got to play Halo 5 versus they would do like six on six, I think. And it was it was a really cool experience just because there were so many details to make it, like I said, like a Disney ride and have everything kind of polished mm -hmm. and smooth. And there's a lot of things that can go wrong. And so to have contingencies and make that all work, it was very challenging, but the payoff was huge. So it was awesome. So I, I remember this massive fortress in the, in the middle of the show floor and I saw you guys working super late preparing this like do you remember like any stories that you can share with us on essentially shipping this experience for the, the show goers yeah totally a couple uh, that I'll never forget so like I mentioned HoloLens wasn't out at the time and so I don't know how they put a price on them but I heard various figures for how expensive each one was and it was very expensive like I don't want to break them and we had 120 devices so that was probably like the most amount we had a beg borrow and steal all over the 
HoloLens or to, you know, get that many that we could take down there. And the first night we were down there, like you mentioned, we had this huge fortress, this massive structure, and it was so big, it had its own air conditioning units, which is pretty crazy because we were indoors, Um, (laughs) but we were generating a lot of heat. And so were some of the other things. And so the very first night, someone didn't set up the AC drainage properly, I guess. And it it was like the condenser was condensing liquid and the liquid was falling down and it was going from the second story of the fortress to the first story, just where we kept all our devices. And so we actually had a couple of devices got wet from this runoff and it was like this huge deal because we're like, okay, now we need to go through and see which ones are okay. I think we like only lost one or two, but it was you know, just another curveball when you're like trying to get everything working already. And then you have this like AC condenser dripping right. on your devices. So that was pretty wild, but luckily we made it through. That's what, yeah. That's wild. And then it was, it was really fun too, because like you mentioned late nights, we were up till four in the morning. I have timestamps because we like would flash the devices <laughs> with the map and the build and everything. And so right. we knew exactly when we stopped right. for the night, but we were up super late because one of the things about HoloLens is it tries to know where you're at. And it does that by, you know, kind of picking up visual markers and visual cues. And we built this booth. Like I said, it has four tables and a lot of the things are self-similar. Like we actually want the tables to all be the same dimensions and things like that. But what that means is HoloLens might get confused and think, oh, I thought you were further down this hall because this hall looks like this other part of this hall. And like, we had the same graphics right. and like we controlled everything. So we ended up having to like slap a bunch of stickers and like kind of make things look a little different um, <laughs> just to prevent confusion. And normally, you know, like if you're using HoloLens at home, this would never come up because your home looks different or your workplace looks different. But since we built this thing to kind of like have these rooms be the exact same, we broke ourselves into jail yeah. on that one. But we were able to get it get it done 4 a.m. and then wake up nice and early at like 6 a.m. to go to the first shift because that stuff starts super early and there's always like people who want to come see it before the show starts and everything. So that was kind of cool to be there, you know, basically at all hours. We always had wristbands and security got to know us well because we could basically come and go as we pleased. But it was really fun. That reminded me actually in that same E3, we were showcasing Fable Legends in one of the partner event and we were showcasing the DX12 mm-hmm. capabilities, right? With all the ray tracing and all that. And I remember the build that I brought did not work with the <laughs> graphics card that <laughs> we were showcasing with because it was, mm-hmm. it was a prototype, but right? it was a prototype uh, and the behavior is different from the video card that we were testing in, in Guilford. So we, we had to scramble until pretty late night to download a new build, basically, and, and to test the, the multiplayer working end to end. It was fun. And I think that that's something that probably a lot of people are not aware of is that when we do conventions and all that, think of them as like another release, totally. right? Yeah. Um, it's not just like, oh, you take the latest build and then you just showcase it. Like it, it takes a lot of planning and coordination and all that. And it's always, it's a release yeah. by itself which makes fun. fun Yeah, totally. I I think anytime I've been part of anything, even smaller demos than E3, there's always a branch, right? There's always like the E3 build branch. There's always, you know, some unholy things go into that branch sometimes because you're like, it has to work for three days. And after those three days, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, And we're not, we're not merging this back. So don't worry. (laughs) That's right. Okay, so you have Microsoft is a big company. I'm sure that like there's a lot of fun stories in there. But then you you kind of went indies, right? I mean, like you went to very mm-hmm. very spaceship. How's your experience like working from such a big team to like you know in the indie studio working on Transformers, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah, you know it's interesting because I think on paper it looks like a huge change because I don't know Microsoft is like two hundred thousand people or whatever the number is now, um, and then when I went mm-hmm. to VBS very, very spaceship, it was like six or eight people or something like that. And so that seems like a big change. Mm-hmm. But I think I 
was really fortunate in Microsoft to find these little pockets of mm -hmm. sort of, you know, smallness and sort of indiness. And so, you know, when I met you in 2010, CNG felt like a very small team. A lot of people were doing a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And I, I was very lucky to keep finding that each place I went, these little pockets of people who were super productive and super good people and kind people and just cared about what they were doing. And so to me, it actually felt pretty natural. But then there's a lot of things that you kind of take for granted at a big company. Like the one that always stands out in my mind is like when you're localizing a product at a big company, it's mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. Someone sends you a spreadsheet and you put the strings in the spreadsheet and then magic. <laughs> Someone, will Someone take pays care of for it. it and finds the vendors and finds the translators. And but then at a small company, it's like, oh, we don't have any of that infrastructure. And that's, you know, one of a hundred examples like that where there are these things that seem secondary or orthogonal, but then end up eating a huge chunk of your development time because you have to figure them out for yourself and on your own. So that part has been challenging. But it's also kind of fun because you're like, oh, I can take how it worked at Microsoft, the good parts, um, and then I can see if there's any mm -hmm. things I can improve, or maybe for a smaller team, we can have a different process or whatever. Right. There's always learning opportunities. Regardless yeah. Where you and so I try to look at it that way of just like, what can I, I'll say take, but really steal in terms of process or names or whatever that worked. And then, um, try to augment that with what the team needs specifically now, because it's a smaller team and it probably doesn't need the full infrastructure that Microsoft needed. For sure. And while you're working in very, very spaceship, you also ship like, you know, your own personal project. Yeah. How did that go? How, how do you see the difference between, you know, shipping a game or shipping experience or shipping a product, right? In, in, the, in the bigger setting, like, you know, all the way from like Microsoft and VVS and also your own personal project is like, how do you find uh, downwardly? I think downwardly is the game that, that you ship uh, is a mobile game. What's your experience like? Yeah, that's a good question. I think there's probably some deeply rooted psychological reasons, but uh, for me, I really like the sort of control and the creative aspect of just being able to do whatever I want. And so, you know, at work, I'm a team player and I'm a collaborator and it's fun to mm -hmm. collaborate with people because people have skills in areas that I have no skills in. And it's really mm -hmm. fun to like, you know, see how someone can plus your work or you can plus theirs. But then I like this other side where it's kind of all up to me. And that isn't to say, because on Downwardly, I collaborated with a good friend and really talented person, uh, Galen, Galen Drew. But I like the idea that, you know, you can take a little and you can really just do what you want. And so you can take it as far as you want or whatever you want to do is what you can do. And for me, you know, all through your life, you're sort of like having experiences and seeing things that you think are cool and things that you don't think are cool. And you're kind of collecting those and creating something gives you a way to kind of remix those and put those together and put them back and reflect them back in the world. Even if you can't articulate exactly what you want, like I couldn't write a story about because my skills aren't in that department about like mm -hmm. things that I like, but I can maybe take a bunch of pieces and reflect them back in the form of a game. And so it's just a fun sort of creative outlet. And I think especially during COVID times, it was nice to just like have some control over something and to kind of do what you want right. and make some progress and feel good about the day. So yeah, that's, that's awesome. And speaking of uh, your own endeavor, you are working on another project right now. Maybe you can tell us more about what are you working on? Yeah. So I'm working on, well, I'm kind of working on two things right now. So after leaving VVS, um, have a software company with a good friend of mine. And so that's going really well. We're only a couple months in. And then since I love side projects, I also have a side project of another game. Uh, it's called Pine Tar Poker. And the sort of high level premise is just kind of um, 
everyone's probably seen video poker. It's very simple. Like you draw five cards and hold a couple of them and get some more deals. Uh, it's kind of like that mixed with Yahtzee. And so in Yahtzee, you, you're using dice, but you're trying to make certain um, roles and you pick them and stuff like that. So kind of a combination of those two mechanically. And then I really like HP Lovecraft, kind of Cthulhu, that whole vibe. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to trying to stretch myself a little bit in the story and narrative and sort of vibe department and push on you know you're kind of playing this game that you think you know what's going on but then slowly it's sort of a descent into madness and it subverts your expectations so you tried a little bit and got to some of the magic runes uh, that can affect your your game a little bit there but yeah it's kind of just one of those things that i can have going in the background and i'm not in a rush to put it out and so i can just Um, noodle with it and play with it and get feedback from you know folks like you and other people that i trust and then keep going on it so yeah just pour some energy into something well i can say that uh i played the build of your game best flight with my son and we were very intrigued (laughs) with the with the mixture of magic and a card and we're, we're looking forward to see like where you're taking that that's cool thank you yeah i think it's cool for people to just put out like this game for instance People might think it sounds like a really bad pitch or whatever, but it doesn't really matter because I think it's better for more people to put out more stuff and just try their best to make the world a little more rich and vibrant. Not like this game is going to change the world or anything, but I think everybody doing their best and putting out stuff just makes for a better place. Even if, you know, some of the stuff you don't like and you don't play, that's totally fine. Hey, there's always something for everyone. I'm a sucker for Ancient One, so (laughs) more content about that, the better. Cool. Well, thank you so much, BJ, for stopping by and, and talking about some of your experience and, you know, obviously sharing what, what you're working on right now. So thank you so much for coming to the show. Thanks for having me. It was really fun. Have a good one, Ray. Hey, thanks for listening in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you would like to share your launch stories, I'd love to chat with you. Email me at hello at boringlaunch.gg or find me in Twitter or LinkedIn. I hope to see you in the next episode. Bye.